It's it's also the fact that I've realised this flat. I don't know why, but it's just more echoey. Oh well, yeah. It, has it got wooden floors and stuff? In some cases, yeah, but not in this one. This is carpet. Less furniture. No furniture currently. Yeah. So no furniture. Nothing to bounce those oh. those uh, sound waves around. Um, with less directness and. When you get stuff hanging up on the walls, that will dampen it too. J- James, Big Brain James is back, everybody. Yeah. I'll buy you a massive canvas as a flat warming <laughs> present. Just a blank canvas and that will dampen <laughs> okay. the sound. I have actually received some flat warming gifts. I got a, a plant from my upstairs neighbour Jess, which was very nice. Oh, that's lovely. And got some champagne from Thomas Hind and his fiancée. That's also lovely. And uh, a card from my mum and dad but it's fine that's I'm sure they'll have I'm sure they'll get me something I mean you can put it up on a shelf and it will help with the (laughs) the sound waves too I I did also buy a box of uh soundproofing foam I think because in my in my mind I was going to you know transform the cupboard into a voiceover booth within the first three days of moving in and of course, the cupboard is currently full of all my DIY stuff. Wow. So I, I, I'm going to eventually, I will eventually put the foam up, but but today is not that day. Today's podcast day. Podcast day. Podcasts take precedence over foaming your walls. <laughs> Something we all need <laughs> to do. I had to listen to that through really strange amounts of robot and then really sped up audio to catch up. So I hope I've I've managed to reply. <laughs> It is the frustration. You realise actually how much you rely on internet to be able to do anything because this has been a, a tricky first 10 days to really do anything. You know, most of my work involves uploading giant files to Oof, Dropbox yeah. and Thinkific and YouTube and it's just destroying my data plans. But hey-ho, Wi-Fi is here next week. Unlimited data plans really do not exist for mobile. Even unlimited ones, it's like what we really mean is 20 gigabytes. <laughs> Anyway, James, enough of my uh, echoey problems. What's what's been happening with you? Oh, not not all too much over here. Um, as as did I even say it on the podcast before? I'm going to be sole occupant of the flat soon. Yeah, no, you, you, I don't think you mentioned it last week, but you mentioned it to me. Yeah, I'm going to be sole occupant of my flat soon. Or if the final flatmate is is moving out, the, the period of time where I'm living with other people will will come to an end for at least a short amount of time. Right, because I, w- I was going to say, this isn't just an invitation for, you know, somebody to join the James Flat roster. No, we're not. I'm not reopening uh, the application process. No, <laughs> this is going to be sole occupancy until I can uh, have a Julia move in. Oh, really? Yeah. Nice. But, you know, that's an international thing. We've got it's all visas and whatnot and whatnot. So. Yeah, that's money, man. I know yeah. th- these things are expensive. Yeah, I've got to be... Yeah, there's a lot to think about, but... The big news is that I'm going to be so occupant. It's going to be great because I will no longer have to be like, like making my internet decisions based around somebody else's career. It's going to be I can I can upload videos whenever I want. Oh, what a joy that will be! And the bin's not going to be full every second day. I don't understand how it gets filled up so quickly, but it does. So I'm looking forward to it being not filled up all the time. Well, it's going to be wonderful. I must have mentioned before as well my my plans for this flat. You know, obviously I, I'm the sole occupant. It will be for for a while at least. And uh, the current second bedroom, I'm going to make into an actual studio. Yeah. So. 
I'm getting like the desk and like nice monitors and a computer and hang instruments on walls and like neon signs. I already got a neon sign as another housewarming gift. Thank you, Graham. Oh, wow. So there's a whole host of things going on in this flat. Just give me like six months for it to all come together. Oh, it takes time. Well, I'll have to figure out what to do with the other spare room after this. Yeah, man. Because I've been using the spare room as the office studio. Like, what on earth do you use a second spare room for? Foam the walls, except make it like a bouncy castle and then fill it with oh, balls. Like padding and just bounce around. Right, yeah, exactly. I think we're on to something there. I'm just going to keep saying things about padding until the robot returns and then eventually the actual human returns too. <laughs> Oh gosh, yeah, this this hotspot is, is quite something. But anyway, welcome to the show, everybody. Cease Operate, episode 217. I'm Robot Colin, and he's James. Genuinely, you roboted out my name. What perfect timing. <laughs> oh man, this could be one of those that we delete like two weeks after we post it. <laughs> I think, no, honestly, I think it's fine because obviously the viewers, the viewers, the listeners are not going to be able to tell any different. It's just you struggling through this. Yeah, I'm not going to, if it sounds like I'm even less aware of what we're talking about than you there is a reason why i know i'm pretty bad at actually addressing the questions and topics as it is so this week could be even okay. worse <laughs> well james we will we will i was gonna say struggle on no we will um soldier on that's a much better turn of phrase we will soldier on regardless Sounds good. Uh, thank you to everybody who got in touch this week ross uh, said that he was listening to this week's episode on a stroll in Finiston. Right. Uh, last week's photo was actually Victoria Park and not oh. Barhead, as I mistakenly uh, predicted. Oh, dear. And an 8 out of 10 for the walk and podcast combo. I didn't I didn't do any digging into what lost the points there. I'm hoping it was the park. <laughs> Victoria is a nice park. I don't think I have a memory of Finiston. No, no. So, so that was the last week. That last week's park. So Victoria Park just must be amazing, and Finiston's less cool because it's just too hipster. Yeah, Victoria is nice. I like Victoria, and um, the park, not the you know aged <laughs> and deceased ruler ruler of the nation. Okay, and also Amel who said sorry to burst your bubble, Colin, but you learn about the Earthwire and S one science. I don't believe that for a second. Do you actually? I yeah, no, yeah, you do. What? Oh my! I didn't want to burst any bubbles. What you learn about plugs in school? <laughs> Well, I have been unscrewing plugs this week, so you know that, and I've not died or electrocuted myself yet, so it's fine. Yeah, I've got to do two, two as well. We're gonna be, we're gonna be socket pals. It's a very cool plug buddies label to add to it. <laughs> I don't think I want to be plug buddies of anybody. Socket <laughs> pals feels more safe. Oh man, it's fine. It's all about screwing plugs. It's fine. Okay, if you want to get in touch with the show, you can on Twitter, Seesaw Parade. <laughs> Facebook cease operate, Gmail cease operate at gmail.com. You could also, like, if you're a newsreader, you could just give us a wee shout out while doing the news. You could. And then we'll reply to you on the podcast sometime later. Um, Shanana Beatty was also wondering if oh, yeah, we were the... cousins. Um, but what but what level of cousin? Uh, are we are we unveiling this or are we we're just gonna level we're level ten. <laughs> level... Max level cousin. <laughs> yeah, actually you know what? That's your answer. We are level 10 cousins, so thank you very much. Uh, we have got so much on the show today, so we're just going to have to crack on through this. And we're going to pick up with a story we talked about last week, which is still rolling on. It's all about exams. Oh, man, yeah. Okay, James, this time <laughs> last week... so difficult. You sound so goofy. <laughs> <laughs> exam. <laughs> 
Okay, James, this time last week we were discussing the SQA having lowered 125,000 grades yeah. for Scotland's school pupils. In the last few days, mm-hmm. tens of thousands of said pupils had their exam results upgraded after the Scottish government agreed to accept the teacher's estimates instead. There had been a yeah. severe backlash, which was only really just getting started when we did the show last week. Yeah, I hadn't even read it. I think it was over the course of recording. <laughs> well, there we go. And so the story moved on to, okay, the SQA has unfairly penalised people from poorer areas, which, if you looked at the st- statistics, certainly seemed to be true. But now what we're seeing is all the peoples have been given the teacher grades and the pass rates have hit record highs. There were yeah. uh, rises of between 14 and 15% for people passing hires and also for people getting A's. James, before we talk about uh, the fallout of this and also what's happening in England right now, which is very, very similar, mm-hmm. just tell me, do you think this was the right thing to do? I think a quick response was necessary. I feel like I would never expect teachers... Um, expectations to be given 100% weighting. However, when we're in the middle of a pandemic and a whole bunch of people's lives are generally being completely trashed, I think possibly being generous with exam results is the least of the problems of the nation. So I think it's better to be generous than it is to be unkind in this instance. We, we've vocalized our support of it because it's like a rock and hard place. There is no actual answer to this yep. as a method. But now that I understand the method... I I agree with it less. I thought it was just based around um, previous like like prelims or or stuff like that and the expectations for the pupil. Turns out it was based around expectations for the school or for districts yep. or for different things like that. And individual pupils didn't really get fair uh, examination of of what they would actually be expected. So if you happened to be a poor uh, no, a people living in a poorer area of Scotland uh-huh. and you're overachieving for your area, you're st- they still got marked down, even if they were just completely overachieving for the area 100% fairly. So I think I think somewhere in between would have made a lot of sense, uh, a more individual-based um, system, but they possibly didn't have the time to implement that. So it's a huge big problem. I'm not surprised that we're going for generosity considering the state of the world, though. Yeah, there's a couple of things here. I think, first of all, you're right in that the vast majority of complaints and the ones that had the biggest weight were the pupils who were from deprived areas who had been predicted to get five A's and then actually got much lower marks than they got in their prelims. And they were saying, how is that fair? Yeah, yeah, like zero A's, basically. Like straight A, straight A pupils were getting none at the end of the day. And how many times have you in exam situations seen that happen? Yeah. Even though everybody feels like they do worse at exams than they deserve. I don't think I've ever seen somebody who expected five A's get not that um, if they put in a decent amount of effort. So hopefully this brings into the conversation and discussion this huge disparity between uh, how difficult it is for an intelligent um child from a deprived area to achieve the grades they deserve yep. where it's much easier for a child of uh, let's say wealth to to get the grades that they in their particular circumstance i guess deserve having had far more support and help to reach that point so it's a it's a huge big thing to examine the state of uh, education between 
uh, the, the vast differences of wealth in Scotland. So the Education Secretary John Swinney and also First Minister Nicola Sturgeon had both previously said uh, and argued that basing grades on teacher estimates would damage the credibility of this year's results in comparison to previous year's results. Yeah. And then after the U-turn, John Swinney said that he was very sorry that they got it wrong. Sorry, deeply regrettable that we got it wrong, which is not quite mm-hmm. the same level of personal. Not quite... We got an apology from Sturgeon, but not quite an apology from Swinney. Yeah, she, she did actually say sorry. I believe, James, yeah. that actually the two of them, or perhaps the, the government as a whole in Scotland, have actually played this probably as well as they could have, considering the way the story unfolded. Because yeah. their options were stick to their guns, and then in next year's Holyrood elections, where 16 to 17-year-olds can vote, absolutely get demolished. Well, and their parents. Uh, precisely. Or say you're sorry... Give the teacher estimates to the pupils and restore a sense of fairness, as you say, in a year which has needed something and these kids that needed something. I think they've they've come out of this as, as best they can. However, we're going to roll this into what's happening down in England. Yeah. Because as this all unfolded, the Conservatives in Scotland were taking great glee in demanding that the Education Secretary, Mr John Swinney, hand in his resignation. Yeah. And now, James, in England, what's happened now is that there's growing anger because nearly 40% of the exam grades awarded were lower than teachers' predictions. This was compared to the 25% yeah. in Scotland. And it's, again, targeting mostly deprived sorry, areas. I, I believe, James, that Matt Hancock, or perhaps it was another government minister, said the uh, the grades would not be altered like the Scottish system. But this is an yeah. even bigger disparity for English kids. Yeah. It's similar again, because uh, the pattern is that Pupils from deprived areas are just seeing their grades getting lowered across the board, whereas pupils from like private schools aren't. Um, primarily because in the past, private schools are better at estimating their results because it's kind of easier to estimate between A and A plus than it is to estimate between, I guess, a D and an A plus. I don't. I think they're playing into the narrative that the SNP wanted here, wherein the SNP realized immediately they needed a really quick response. They needed to get something out before England had the same problem so that they could address it first. So no matter what they did, people are going to be comparing England to Scotland. And it's either going to be England copying us or England not being as kind as us. Um, yeah. I think part of that is really good for me, SNP. They wanted this really quick response so they look good no matter what happens in England. But I think that's part of the reason we're seeing such a such a U-turn in Scotland is because they couldn't do something that would take a month or two months to figure out. They couldn't make an appeals process happen that would take more than a week. They had to get it done. Yep. So I think I think we've 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 suffered a wee bit off. Like genuinely, we have the the results this year in Scotland are are a bit more questionable purely for political reasons. I think, and that's okay because everybody knows. Like, I, like who cares at the end of the day? Um, uni uni application. It's going to work as it usually does. Pupils are going to get the places that they either expected or not get them. As always, uni always feels a bit unfair. But uh, like at the end of the day, after two years out of school, school grades no longer matter. So I don't know. It's strange. It's, do you expect the Tories will demand, uh, sorry, it was Education Secretary Gavin Williamson's resignation right. after this similar <laughs> fiasco in England? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Are the same people that were calling for... Um, certain Scottish um, leaders 
and Resignation is going to be calling for it. It's such a play. Like, they can't do anything right now. Scottish Tories are, can't speak on any of this for a while. Um, and it's so, it's, it's so strange to think that um, nobody's really going to call them out on that. Like, I haven't seen the media calling them out on that inconsistency, even though it's within a week. Um, so we'll see. I, I, I expect there'll be the same cries of unfairness in England but I think we've seen uh, leadership in England that is far less in touch with the people, who cares far less about um, having an actually good reputation and more just about polling and just trying to minimise damage and minimise headlines. Um, so we won't see an apology. We probably won't see a U-turn because they don't want to just copy Scotland again. Um, whether or not we see any calls for resignations, that depends on whether people are hip- hypocrites or not. Okay, let's stay in Scotland before we move on. Nicola Sturgeon earlier this week has also warned that Scottish football could be shut down yeah. after a total of nine players yeah. breached coronavirus guidelines. Eight of them were Aberdeen players who went out to the Soul Bar in the city on the same weekend that I believe up to 100 people were infected with COVID-19 mm-hmm. and the, the entire city is now in the middle of a two-week lockdown. The second player, or rather the ninth player of the second incident, was Bully Bolingoli, who is a Celtic defender with a great name, Absolutely. who took a one-day trip to Malaga uh, four days before Celtic played Kilmarnock. He returned from Spain and refused to quarantine. He played the game, and only after that did it emerge that he had, of course, travelled and not told anybody. In the wake of that, uh, both the Celtic and Aberdeen managers were appalled and uh, said that, well, they distanced themselves from the players' behaviour. And then Nicola Sturgeon decided to do something because the Scottish football authorities failed to and said that both teams uh, must essentially postpone their next two games. Yeah. Uh, James, this is, uh, it's just daft from the, from the players in question. Yeah. And this is an example of people who have a position and in the public eye need to do a better job than the general public do. We all know what to do and what not to do. I think if some random insignificant on a national level person breaks rules like yeah sure they might suffer the consequences at work it's not going to get the first minister uh, to call your boss though but in this instance we got flagrant breaches um we got the teams and authorities doing nothing about it so it makes perfect sense for them to get the as as nicola said the yellow card um i really uh, hope that this uh, doesn't happen again we're in Scottish football matters to people. I am sure it is absolutely a thing that is keeping people indoors, uh, potentially watching streams, which is great. Um, so hopefully it doesn't happen again. Hopefully we keep um, football safe for people to be watching and partaking in. And if it does, I hope teams get matches cancelled, that they just forfeit matches from here on out. Everybody's had their one warning now. Just lose points from further breaches. This can't, this can't be something that, that just carries on a cycle of match postponements. But also, like, let's just shut down all the pubs, please, as well, while we're at this. Just close them. They're clearly a bad, a bad idea to have open. Everything's going haywire since the pubs opened. So, months after her own presidential dreams ended... <laughs> ended really slowly and awkwardly. Kamala Harris is now getting another shot uh, at the Democratic run to the White House because she has been announced 
as the running mate for Mr. Joe Biden. Yeah. Uh, the 55-year-old who I believe is a California senator yeah. um, had had her um, her moments with Mr. Biden in the run-up to the Democratic pick for the, uh, for the presidential yeah. election this year. I mean, the only thing I remember from her presidential election is the time she picked, she picked something up and managed to do a good attack on Biden. So. And uh, also Maya Rudolph does a good impression of her on Saturday Night Live. But anyway, she is now is true. the running mate for Mr. Biden. James, what's your initial thoughts on this? I'm about as enthusiastic about Kamala as I am about Joe. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, like, yeah, they're they're kind of qualified for their positions. I think, I think, I think, Mister Mister Biden. I think it's a bit more of a shame because he's clearly struggling in his brain. Uh, so while I think Harris is is better on this one measure that, um, <laughs> you know, she's probably not deteriorating, um, but she's not. It's not an exciting pick. I don't think any of the shortlist would have been exciting picks. Yeah. But I think that's the safe thing to do right now for the Democrats. Like, talking as as somebody who leans left, I'm not excited because they don't, they aren't really progressive, not really in their hearts. Um, But if I was a Democrat and all I cared about was the Democrats winning, good pick. She's she's going to be fine for the moderates. She's tough on crime. Um, And she's one of the one of the police while also being uh, a, a person of color so therefore is is good for everybody if you're a, mm-hmm. if you're a comfortable middle class uh, moderate it will be fine it's not as like this is way better than trump pence in my books like oh yeah I, if i had to vote i know who i'd be voting for um easy peasy in this i wouldn't be spoiling the ballot this is this is a very important vote you just got to do it but i think there's been this strange uh, almost attack on her from the left where they're trying to call out her AG work attorney general in California as well saying that she was not progressive that she was tough on crime all this stuff that's going to work for the right wingers the right wingers like tough on crime so they might vote for her yeah um but also it's strange because she wasn't very progressive but she was pretty well known or at least it's been written about her, that she was probably the most progressive attorney general. But that's kind of like being the least melted ice cream in the ice cream truck that's been abandoned in Chernobyl. Um, it's not an achievement, is what I'm saying. Um, so she could be good. Her Senate record's pretty great. She's voted in line with people like Bernie Sanders over 90% of the time, which is pretty cool. Yep. Um, but whether or not they're actually a pairing who can who who will deliver on their progressive and um, promises and their climate promises and their healing promises. I don't really know. What do you think? Well, I've seen a lot of the attacks, the attacks from the likes of Trump and oh yeah, Republicans who are going after things she said about Joe Biden in the run-up to Biden being chosen as the uh, Democratic nominee. Yeah. And they're digging through past comments and things that she said about Biden and her track record and saying, ah, she is a radical leftist. Oh, and uh, no. she isn't. Yeah. I mean, but they also say Biden is as well, so. <laughs> well, exactly. So so to me, I, I agree with you in that it was slim pickings yeah. for whoever was going to be Biden's running mate, but they could have done a lot worse. I, I don't think... Kamala Harris is a particularly inspiring pick. No. But that being said, is it better than Trump Pence? Wholeheartedly. Yeah. 
And Trump, Trump saying that she like Biden's offended all of the men ever because he's picked a woman is is laughable. Um, so you know that's not inspiring, but you know I think the ultimate loser is Elizabeth Warren. Let's never forget that she pretended to be a progressive yeah. for a lot of years to try and gain some popularity, and then you turned on all of that, showed her true self by sabotaging, um. All conversations about Medicare for all, uh, sabotaging all conversations about taxing the rich and trying to be an absolute true centrist and boring little um, corporatist elitist, bending over um, all policies that, um, no, sorry, not bending over, snapping in half policies that she formally said she would agree on. Like yeah. just backstabbing Bernie at every opportunity, uh, so that she could maybe be the the <laughs> the president. Oh no, that didn't work. So then she tried really hard to become the vice president as well, and that didn't really work. So the ultimate loser, and credit to everybody, Elizabeth Warren, go away, please. I was so excited about her in the in the in like years ago. She seemed cool. Man, she's boring now. Okay, well, linked to the election is the news from uh, the country's top security officials that Russia are aiming to denigrate Joe Biden's campaign while China and Mm, Iran would much rather that Trump is not re-elected. In other news, grass is green. James, what did you think of this? Uh, Yeah, no, um, Russia is just trying to plant um, destabilization seeds and meanwhile, China just wants to have somebody leading that's a bit more predictable. Uh, it just makes sense. Okay, let's move on. A couple more stories before we go elsewhere. Uh, the US government's proposed changing the definition of a showerhead to allow increased water flow wow. after complaints from the president about his hair routine. Wow. And I'm not kidding. Yeah. So under a, under a, a 1992 law, showerheads in the States are not allowed to produce more than two and a half gallons of water a minute. Right. And the Trump administration wants this limit to apply to each nozzle rather than the overall fixture. Right. And of course, consumer and conservation groups say this is totally wasteful and unnecessary. Yeah. Trump says uh, his hair has to be perfect <laughs> and uh, that at the moment the water is just not coming out. You want to wash your hands, the water doesn't come out. So what do you do? What? You stand there longer or take a shower longer, which he argues is a, a waste of resources anyway. I don't... I, like, his hair has to be perfect? Apparently. I'm pretty sure his hair would dissolve if it actually touched water. Man, this this confuses me to no end. And then, sure, I absolutely agree with limiting water use. There's a lot of things in the UK that are wasteful of water that need to be limited. And there's a lot of things in the US, I'm sure, that are the same. So, yeah, have an upper limit on how much water a single shower fixture can use uh, per minute, per second. Who cares? (laughs) This idea that you could make it per shower head and it would somehow not immediately become the way uh, to have wasteful showers is laughable. Like it would just it would just make it a zero a zero actual results legislation. We're gonna limit the amount uh, per shower head rather than per fixture. All right, we'll just have three shower heads then. Perfect. <laughs> like, and that's his point. That's what he wants. He just want he wants to waste things. He's a wasteful guy. Okay, one final story from the states as of today, and this is the thirteenth of August. It's Thursday. Uh, the U.S. has reported its highest numbers of deaths from coronavirus in a single day since May. Wow. Uh, the average has remained above 1,000 for the last 17 days. And this 
is again another sign that the virus continues to run unabated in the States as the president is encouraging the, con- the continued uh, rollback of restrictions. It just b- it baffles me. Rollback of restrictions, yeah. Including election stuff. He's making it harder for people to do postal voting successfully. So on election day, there's going to be absolute queues full of people. And that's just scary to think about. Like genuinely, I don't know when we're going to see the downturn at this point. When things are going to start being under control. Like it might be when a majority of the population has suffered from the disease, which I don't know. Are we getting close to that at this point? It's crazy the numbers over there. And what I was saying, I don't want to try and pretend we're doing a good job in the UK. Other countries would have been in full lockdown again if they had the number of cases we're having here in the UK. Oh yeah, uh, our numbers are, are getting scary. Scotland's numbers are getting scary, and we're not really seeing enough regional lockdowns. Uh, but my goodness, could they try harder to just prop up? Um, the economy by sacrificing lives. I really don't think there's much more they could do at this point. Like, what, like we st- they, all they've got is a mask mandate in some places, as far as I can tell. There really isn't much effort going into handling it. I mean, and again, let's make fun of the UK for a bit. I've seen a lot of people pointing out that Boris Johnson um, and, and co could have prioritised saving the population or saving uh, the economy, and they've ended up, you know, Saving neither, and that's not a me thought. I've, I've seen the people saying this. I'm like, I guess, yeah, we're do- we're we're doing amongst the worst in both measures. The only reason we're not looking like embarrassments anymore is because the U.S. is doing so much worse, and other countries are doing so much worse at this point. Well, talking off the economy, James, the UK has suffered its biggest slump on record between April and June (laughs) as coronavirus lockdown measures pushed the country officially into recession. This has been the expected case for quite some time. Uh, The economy shrank by more than 20% compared with the first three months of this year. Household spending was down as shops were closed. Factory output construction was also down. And this is the first technical recession, which is two consecutive quarters of economic decline since the financial crash 11 years ago. Mm -hmm. Uh, Chancellor Rishi Sunak says that the government is grappling with something totally unprecedented. It was a very difficult and uncertain time. Yeah, imagine like being prepared for pandemics by having like a pandemic preparedness team or something. (laughs) It would be unprecedented. All this stuff. Some people would say, and I, I, I guess I would agree that after lockdown, or certainly a, a period of lockdown, a downturn was inevitable. Yeah. But I, what, what do you think about the fact that technically we are now in recession? I mean, the fact we're in recession is just junk. Like the way that we measure economies is just trash. Um, this recessions being a scary thing and being like most of the time we spend we spend our we spend our lives being one quarter away from recession. It's just like I, it's a, such a strange market system we've got in place. This continued growth. You're not allowed two downturns in a row. It's yeah. Like, well, no a downturn that happens. The problem is the scale of it. We've handled things so poorly that we're prolonging this zero output country by not having an effective lockdown and we're going to keep doing it it seems because other countries had major downturns but they had more effective lockdowns so they didn't end up having the second quarter be as bad so they're seeing growth in the second quarter um, whereas we've just seen an even worse quarter because we started things later which meant that the impact was later but not late enough to not hit the first quarter 
um, <laughs> but then not early enough to give us any chance to recover in, in the next one. Uh, it's not surprising we're in a recession. It feels like we're always going to be, and based on my life experience, like every 10 years, here comes a recession. Um, it, it's getting, it's a bit frustrating. I don't know, I don't know if it is actually just our generation that is suffering from this endless um, stagnation. But it feels like this is just status quo forever now. We're going to keep getting uh, mega corporations getting getting rich, the mega rich getting rich, and the rest of us suffering through recessions and uh, the responses to that being um, getting taxed more and paid less and, and everything costing more money. I don't know. It's not scary for me because we've done it before. <laughs> it just It just feels like doom but slow i I don't believe it will be like the financial crash because the office for national statistics has has shown that the economy has recovered in in may and june yeah uh not to the same levels we're still below where we were in february well yeah and of course job losses have happened and will continue to happen as as furlough schemes end and people realize well actually we're going to work from home for the next however long noticed rbs said that they'll be working from home until at least 2021 and uh, and zero waste scotland said that they will be working from home indefinitely i mean that also makes sense but that is that is not good for the economy because our economy is is in a large part based around selling people expensive lunches and a pint before they go home and stuff like that so this was something i learned actually was that the overwhelming majority of britain's economy is and GDP is generated by the services sector. Yeah, it's it's. I think it's four fifths. It's maybe eighty yeah. percent of GDP is services. Yeah, I do not know that. And it's all just like passing money about for an expensive sandwich, and then going out for a di- dinner, and then all this all this trash that isn't real economy. But because of the way we economies are measured with our current global market, of course it counts. But it's it's just it's just pretend. So because nobody's been going out and spending money because everything's closed, yeah, all the pretend economies tanked. But it means that that's why there's been a constant major push from the Conservatives to keep trying to get people to go out and put their health at risk to buy a sandwich and put their health at risk to, to eat a meal at a restaurant and put their health at risk to do this and do that because their economy depends on that stuff. We don't have much of anything else going on. I think I said it in the beginning, like, it's going to look bad. Our economy is going to look real, real bad, but it's all pretend. It is. It is indeed. James, let's move on because time is uh, escaping us. We still have lots to get through. The BBC have apologised nine days after a news report aired with a racial slur. Uh, More than 18,000 people complained after the N-word was used in full in a news report about a racially aggravated attack in Bristol. Right. Uh, the BBC and the, the programme itself defended the use of the word, which was broadcast uh, by the regional programme Points West and then on the BBC News Channel on July 29th. But yes, as of August 10th, BBC right. Director General Tony Hall officially apologised and said a mistake had been made. James, why did it take the BBC so long to realise that this was completely out of order and totally unnecessary to use in the report. I don't, I don't know because there's a there like there is the part of me that's like, well, I get what they're saying. Like it is just a word they're using it properly in a report of a thing, but that's not what they do with the news. I've never really, I've seen the news and they've reported on racial things a lot, and they've always used 
like um, euphemisms. They've always yep. they've always self censored, and nobody's not going to know what they're talking about. They don't need to use it for for us to know because that is their um, supposed style guide. It's so surprising when they breach it, even if like technically, yeah, they're just reporting on it, but. It's of course shocking when the BBC just all of a sudden out of nowhere for this one instance changes their style guide, changes what we expect from them and for no for not really a big reason. As far as I can tell, the family wanted people to understand what happened in full, but you don't need to use the words specifically to have people understand what was said. Um, so I don't know what took them so long. Stubbornness, uh, being out of touch, because, you know, the BBC, everyone tries to claim that they're uh, super leftist, super progressive, but it's all virtue signaling on the Beeb. They don't actually do anything. So it's just such a strange amount of time. Um, it's such a strange decision in the first place. I mean, you've been in the industry. Like, surely the, like, there is a standard that is set and you don't get to make these decisions on the fly. Well, yeah, it would have been like... If the offensive word that had been used or, or, or phrases that had been used were perhaps the strongest swear words, for example, there's a couple of four-letter ones that come to mind, you never in a bazillion years would ever use them in a news report. Well, no, they have done, they have done that. They, people, when they were quoting Trump, calling countries... Um... Well, exa- right, okay, well, that, that's an example of a president who is protected yeah. by privilege. I'm talking yeah. about an attack on a street. Let's say someone, in this case, a man who had been racially attacked yes. and, um, you know, something was shouted at him. In any other report where something was shouted at someone, particularly if it's the strongest language possible, you would not be repeating that at six o'clock. And that's for yeah. swear words, let alone yeah. a white person repeating just, a racial yeah. slur. Yeah, you don't have to use it. You just describe it. Well, exactly. So I, I, I know that they said, oh, the family want everybody to see, see and understand. You don't need to do that by saying the word explicitly. You by just... direct quoting. Yeah, people can understand by paraphrase. <laughs> exactly. And that's what, that's what led to uh, one of Radio 1 Extra's DJs quitting, uh, yeah. saying that the BBC sanctioning the N-word being broadcast on national TV by a white person is something I can't yeah. rock with. I think and I... he was uh, backed up by a lot of other people yeah. in the industry. A big part of it is just the inconsistency. Because if the BBC came out, a new style guide, or whatever you actually call it for reporting, um, and they said... We will now be quoting things in full, including the worst language at all times of day. I'd be like, there we go. As long as you hold that rule consistently, it's fine. Yeah. But I myself, being someone who doesn't really read into the internal workings of the BBC, know that they do not allow people to use these words in other reports. They censor quotes from books that contain uh, this language. They censor all sorts of things that contain this language. And all of a sudden, yeah. they just flipped. And we're like, all right, now we get this guy to do it. Ha ha. Uh, so like, I'm not saying, Hey, when you're the news, you're not allowed to do this. You can't possibly justify it, but the consistency is what makes this just a terrible decision. And like, I, I, I don't think I can understand it properly. I can't empathize properly as somebody who does not, um, I do not find myself in a position where words can have that kind of an effect. There's not really yeah. a powerful word, word that you can just use about me that has the same thing. So I can't really empathize, but I can definitely see why this is a standout example of this laziness. Okay, a couple more international stories before we head over to the lighter side of things. One, a follow-up from last week. All right, and yeah. this 
is the explosion in Beirut and the fact that there were protests, anti-government protests, uh, in Beirut after the explosion which killed at least 135 people, injured thousands more, uh, left many people homeless. And uh, it turns out that actually the building slash port building which blew up had been the subject of several warnings for the last six years. And officials admitted that it could have been dealt with many, many uh, months and years beforehand. So essentially what caused the explosion, as we were speculating last week, was a giant stash of ammonium nitrate, which had once been described as a, a floating bomb. It had been at the port since 2014. Wow. And as recently as six months ago... Officials inspecting the consignment warned that if it was not moved, it would blow up all of Beirut. And it's... I mean, yeah, no. Wow. I mean, it, not all of it, but certainly has uh, had a, a, an enormous impact on the, the city and the city's infrastructure. James? Yep. Just absolute disastrous stuff here. And sure, people have quit. We've got the whole administration quitting over it. I, I expect this is probably one of those instances where quitting isn't quite enough. This is... And we didn't know this last week. But this is something where... They had the option to save lives. They had the option to to not let this happen, probably yeah. pretty cheaply. It was just laziness, um, who knows what kinds of corruption, who knows what kinds of um, things were blocking this. But any administration in those years needs to be held to account, not just quit their jobs. Um, I think people are especially disappointed uh, in the administration who has quit now because they were supposed to be the end of the the laziness and the corruption and the all these things that was yeah. ongoing um, and they ended up just being too weak to actually do anything and now they've they've quit because their final weakness was not doing anything about something they actually really could have done. Um, so as much as a lot of these um, smaller nations are doing massive uh, work, uh, taking in refugees and housing people and all this stuff, there, can't, there still can be massive corruptions and laziness within the leadership and shocking stuff in this instance like knowing how easy it would have been for this to be avoided it's it's condemning okay one final story and this is belarus which you may not have even heard about Uh, there's been unrest for the the entire country never heard about it well i i mean people listening to the podcast maybe hear about this for the first time ah belarus is on the map so Belarus, there's been unrest there for about a week after longtime leader Alexander Lukashenko was declared the winner in the country's election, uh, giving him 80% mm, of the vote, yeah. which essentially people say was rigged. <laughs> I mean, yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, thousands of people have been arrested. Essentially, after the vote, there was uh, massive protests against the government. Uh, two people have died. Uh, police say that they've detained 700 people in the last day alone. And this has been ongoing for quite some time. James, yeah. what's the, what have the EU and what have other nations said about what's been going on in Belarus? Uh, well, so we, EU in general has been letting this slide for way too long. This is, there's been unrest for ages before this. There's been corruption ages before this. The, the, on the build-up to this election, the dude was imprisoning his, imprisoning his potential opponents. So, so he he imprisoned one of the essentially leading figures to be the opposition, and the, and so instead, because he was in prison, his wife yeah. stood as like the main candidate. And despite not being a politician, she was on the ballot. And after seeing the results, 
essentially said, there's absolutely no way this is actually well, how yeah, it went. She was having massive rallies and stuff like that. And we're not talking about the kinds of disappointments of uh, rallies in the UK for Labour Party and then Labour getting uh, the, the astonishingly low vote. They had massive rallies and then they're ending up with less than 20% of the supposed vote. Um, and the only reason she wasn't also jailed is because uh, he believed that a woman couldn't possibly lead the country and she wasn't actually going to be able to have a successful campaign. So uh, it's scary times there in general. The EU should have been doing stuff about this a long time ago. I think part of the problem is that uh, you need unanimous votes to intervene in stuff like this. And Hungary is also very keen on not really stamping down on dictatorships and authoritarianism. Yeah. So it's hard for... Uh, there to be a consensus uh, but what we're seeing now is that the EU is uh, promising to respond with sanctions not against the country but against the individuals responsible for this so you're looking at the leader himself and his cronies uh, all the oligarchs and whatnot there's going to be sanctions placed against them and hopefully it will be enough to dissuade them from continuing in this trend of um, authoritarianism and profiteering if they just can't keep their money or make their money well James, would you pay 30 quid to see the new Mulan? No. End of segment. Okay, well, after many delays, it may be the only way you get to see the movie because Disney Plus have announced that their much-anticipated live-action Mulan will be available for fans via streaming, but you will have to pay 29 99. Well, that's certainly for, for those in the States. Yeah. Uh, simultaneously, Mulan will be released to theatres in international markets where both cinemas are open and also where Disney Plus is unavailable. Yeah. Uh, James, mad. what do you think of this uh, this combination then? If you want to see Mulan, you're paying an extra $30 on top of your Disney Plus subscription. Yeah, no, that's just trash. That's just junk. That is that is a company that's having a bit of a hard time because their parks have been closed, trying to make a bunch of money off um, fans. And it sucks. That's disgusting. I wouldn't pay that for a, for a cinema experience. Never mind a really low-quality stream. You can argue if you were being given given a digital copy, it would be worth like an extra tenner or something. If your copy was yours forever, maybe yep. it would be worth an extra tenner. But we're talking about being able to stream it at really low qualities. It's not it's not worth money at all. If you subscribe to them, that should be more than enough. They should just be released because it would generate interest for their platform, which is struggling a wee bit. It's it's also the price is also considerably steeper than most other films which are released on streaming platforms, typically for rent for between fifteen and twenty dollars. Yeah, I don't get it. It's just it's just I don't think we're ever going to understand these decisions. It's companies that are just led by people who don't actually care about their audience, and we see it more often in the gaming industry, profiteering off off fans, just yeah. releasing endless content that is worth zero money but for actual money uh so i would i would i would say don't buy it because you could say people try to say like buying dlcs or buying the things like this for example stream one-time stream films for a bunch of money supports the artists and it supports the little people on the other end of the company nope profits go to the executives and then when the company struggles they fire the artists the 
supporting the company never gives any extra money to an artist or somebody working at the bottom of the chain. So just don't do it. Do not buy this. It's a stupid, a stupid decision and we cannot support it. Yeah, I agree. The studio also said that for now, Milan is a one-off and they're not planning to similarly shift other major releases, such as, for example, Black Widow, to a similar format. But James, I'll believe that when I see it. Yeah, no, if they make money off this, they will be doing this until until they, they can no longer they can no longer sustain it. Okay, one piece of news before we see a couple of trailers. This is the news that the final Prince Philip in the Netflix show The Crown has been cast. Yeah. And it's Jonathan Price, who you would recognize from playing the High Sparrow in Game of Thrones. He's also in Pirates of the Caribbean. He got an Oscar nomination for being the Pope in The Two Popes yeah, one of the this popes. time last year. Uh, he's he's brilliant. I think he's absolutely phenomenal. I think he's a great choice. Excellent actor. That's all I can really say about it. I haven't watched any seasons since season two. I don't know if they've even been released. <laughs> as far as I'm aware, they didn't <laughs> exist. So the fact that we've got casting for the final ones, that's, that's cool. Uh, good yeah. actor. So, uh, so this uh, certainly these uh, this season, or maybe two seasons, I'm unsure, is covering the years from the 90s to the early noughties. And quite a lot happened in that uh, time the frame. Early noughties. So a little bit, a little bit before the visible decay of a human face. Um, <laughs> so they're not going to have to crack out their special effects makeup too much. Yes, but he will have to crack out some horrendous racist one-liners so we'll we'll look forward to that man yeah i used to think those were funny when i was a kid and then i grew up indeed talking of growing up the boys uh that doesn't ah. really make sense but they've uh well, yeah we used to be those <laughs> we did we did we did now we are men and now it's a tv show about our lives about people who have superpowers yes this is the amazon prime show the essentially rated r18 superhero tv show which both you and I enjoyed thoroughly. Yes. Uh, the second season has an official trailer. Let's have a listen. We got soup terrorists. We got no superheroes. Hi, I'm Stormfront. Who? I'm the new girl. Wonderful. So what's your big plan? Uh, we'll take them for There we go. And I get my wife back. We're in. Of course we're in. Okay, James, I know we reviewed a teaser trailer recently. What did you mm -hmm. think of this official trailer? I preferred the teaser trailer. Why? Um, the official trailer, I don't think it gave away the plot. Credit to it. I don't think I, I've worked out the entire plot based off the trailer. Um, but I think I've seen all the standout moments from the show now. I feel like this trailer just put in every surprise and every big shock moment and all of the big set pieces, I think I've seen them all. If the show's got more than this, then good, that'll be nice. But I feel like I've seen all the big moments now. Okay, I, I'll, I'll disagree. I'll say I, I felt that, I mean, a teaser by name, teaser by nature, I thought the official trailer had more in it. Yeah. And uh, was also <laughs> just a better depiction of the show. Yeah. Um, that being said, I... I would agree to an extent. I do think they showed us a bit too much. Yeah. In that, I, I you know, we we knew it was going to be the the boys were on the run, mm -hmm. and uh, the seven had a new superhero. We knew that much, but I believe they'll just be picking up essentially where they left off, and it will 
run as expected. I don't think they've blown all the good moments, but I certainly think they have shown stuff that they should have saved uh, that would have been... Yeah, that's probably the better way to, to put it. Yeah, which which would have been really great if you were watching on the show for the first time, but now you've seen it in the trailer, it certainly has less of an impact. Yeah, I didn't get amazed by any of the things that potentially would have amazed me if it came up in a show in the right place. Okay, one final trailer. This is The Devil All The Time. It's a Netflix film with the likes of Tom Holland, Robert Pattinson, Maya Wazalowski, Sebastian yeah. Stan. Everybody's in this movie. Let's have a listen. I mean, Pattinson's getting the big end. He's the star these days. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst for righteousness. That ain't no preacher. He's as bad as they got on the damn radio. When people look back on it, they had no other choice. There's a lot of no good sons of bitches out there. Excuse me, preacher. You got time for a sinner. Yeah, it's it's like if we did Seesaw Parade with Colin Stone and James McDonald. You you would get the and. I th- yeah, I think I I think I do get the I and. Think you do, I think you do, because you're the bigger star. Uh, tell me, what did you think of the trailer? I, I, I liked that. I've not read the book. I'm told the book is very good. And I like the trailer. I think they've clearly done a pretty good job of adapting this. Um, I, I, I feel like it's given us enough of the feel of the film without telling us what happens in the film. I don't think I have any idea what actually goes down in this. But I think I know who the antagonists are, <laughs> for example. Yeah. I think I know the general tone. And the tone looks amazing. It looks like this is going to be like some level of harrowing while also just being desperate. I, th- I think psychological horror is probably... Some part. Certainly certainly some of it, yes. And because of the way that this trailer unfolded, I, yeah, I'm not entirely sure what's going on. Yeah, uh, I have a rough idea, but yeah, I, I've not read the book. I was certainly yeah. intrigued by it. I think it's the kind of film I'd have to watch uh, hiding behind my, my fingers, but potentially just a bit too nervy i i don't know are they going for any sort of awards recognition here i don't know it's too early to say but with the cast they've got sorry jason clark's also in this yeah so getting in the the kind of the big used to be on the a-list hollywood stars here Mm -hmm. Uh, there's also riley keogh and i was going to say stellan skarsgård no bill skarsgård also known as yeah the there's a distinct lack of americans in this film with a lot of american accents in <laughs> yes, it. yes there is so the accents are strong i'm not saying strong as in they're very well done i'm saying they're strong as in they're convincing to me and they're very evident but somebody from the actual region might take offense i don't know tom holland unfortunately as good as i um as easy as he is in the eyes he is one of these actors who falls into the category of he's the same in every film i think he might uh, become a really good actor eventually yeah like he's he's still young but essentially i was watching this and thinking you're just spider-man he's not really carrying it whereas pattinson my goodness that guy can act oh he's phenomenal he is and anything I said about him in the past about Twilight, I'm very sorry. Yeah, like, my goodness. So, like, I mean, I'm really excited for this film. Well, speaking of psychological horror, just to touch on it, I sent you a trailer this week that we were both just freaked out by. Yeah. Okay, well, yeah. I'm not going to play this one because I've deleted no. it, but it's called yeah. I'm Thinking About Ending Things and... All in lowercase. My goodness, it's a new film from... Watch the Charlie trailer. Charlie Kaufman. And, uh, yeah, it is... 
Uh, unsettling is what I'd say. Unsettling, for sure. I've got no idea what's going on there. I mean, a good cast, solid cast. We've got great cast. One person who's definitely now typecast as creepy older woman. Um, That's Tony Collette, by the way. Yeah, and aside from that, you got like a solid cast. Most of whom I have seen being creepy in Fargo. <laughs> Yeah, and they do a really good job in that. So I'm hoping they do well in this as well. But my goodness, yeah, go watch that. Uh, go watch that trailer. Let's know what you think. Uh, the dude Fargo's the, very, very much the feeling I got from this as well as some sort of M Night Sh- uh, Shyamalan yeah, movie. Yeah, Fargo, but a bit more surreal. Okay, James, that is the end of the show. We have truly rattled through this. If you have any thoughts on anything we've talked about today, please do get in touch. Uh, we will uh, chat about it next time and which at which point it will have mm-hmm. wi-fi and hopefully a less echoey room yay fabulous okay james thank you very much for your contributions i'll see you next week all right cheerio everybody have a nice time <laughs> eat some cake <laughs>